LSG Media presents Without Limits, a Westworld podcast. I'm your host, Dean. I'm Jessica. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 2, Episode 3, Virtue e Fortuna. We're back, Jessica. What do you think about the third episode? What is it? Virtue e Fortuna? I don't speak that language. Latin or American? Either. <laughs> well, what are your impressions on this week's episode? What do you think about it? I thought that this week's episode was the worst one so far this season. It is the worst one so far this season. I think that's um, pretty, pretty, I think I'm not saying anything clear. exciting. No. Not, not giving a, a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely not a hot take. But um, it's an interesting way to describe it. The worst episode of the season. Which means you have a negative connotation to it because you're not just saying, well, the other two are definitely better than this one. Yeah, I think that this had some problems. I I just think that, I think they tried to do a little bit too much in the episode. Introducing two new parks immediately. Well, one at the beginning, one at the end, right? Introducing two new parks, introducing more new characters when we've already gotten new characters we've barely spent time with. Correct. Um. And again, last week where I was like, okay, I like what we're doing where we're not trying to follow too many storylines in one episode. And I remember last week saying like, okay, so next week I think we're just going to talk about Maeve. It's going to be a Maeve episode. Yes. And we're going to see a lot of Maeve. We're going to see minimal Dolores, if any. And we're going to go on from there. Instead, we saw minimal Maeve again, a bunch of Dolores and Bernard and present day Bernard mm-hmm. and this new chick and fucking whatever else we saw. Too much stuff. Too much. Where's the man in black? I wanted to see him. Didn't see him. Right. You're going to show me everybody. Show me him. That's all. So too much, adding too much before rectifying that, which they've already introduced. Right. I, I, and I think I get why we're introducing this new person, but I don't think it's a smart idea at this point. Yeah. Christine in the chat is the new chick, Emily. That's what I'm assuming. Um, Emily's the man in black's daughter. Um, Age wise, it, seems fairly logical. Like she looks like she could be between 35 and 40, right? A good 35, 40. Okay. Um, she looks like stock photo lady who's not really a stock photo lady as we have now discovered. Um, she's got that similar look. Um, a lot of the way she acted, the things that she said, um, which we'll talk about as we talk about the scene, really, especially on the rewatch, gave me that impression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's why we're meeting her. I don't know why else we would introduce a new character and give so much time to her when she's completely separate from our other characters. Um, so I think it's safe to say she's significant. Yeah, she has to be. Mm-hmm. And they did not say her name in the episode because I paid really close attention to that this time around. Um, Brian Blake asked in the chat. I'm yeah. sure she has a name on IMDb, so that would probably debunk Her name was not mentioned in the episode. Yes. To answer his question, but no. Yeah, I think this, um, I still like this episode of television as television episodes go. I, I definitely think they have spread our attention a little bit on the thin side, mm-hmm. but I think they are going to wrap that up rather quickly by putting people with other groups of people and trimming some of this out, maybe. Um, or maybe these are just little story seeds that will blossom, say, in the next four or five episodes. Couldn't say for certain. Don't know. I didn't spend too much time wondering who this woman was, uh, as I've tried to dedicate myself to that. I've spent, I just spent a lot of time observing her behavior, seeing what kind of character she was, what she offered, and um, things like this. Obviously, we're going to wonder. We're going to wonder, like you said, Jessica, why devote so much time to her if she is meaningless? Clearly, she's not meaningless. Right. I just think that it makes sense. I don't think it's like a stretch. I don't think it's real theorizing. I feel like that's the most logical leap to make about yeah. um, this woman's existence and her time on the show, especially the way she acts and the shit that she says. Question, why does it... Mm, well, I, and this is me honestly asking because I do not remember. 
why does it matter if it's the man in black's daughter? I don't remember any of why that would be of significance. Because she's a main character on the show's daughter. Isn't that interesting to you? Like he already said his family. Um, don't, you don't have a, to be defensive. Okay, so I'm just asking. He's estranged from his family, the man in black. Yep. He's all fucked up in this park. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife killed herself. The daughter said, we spent our whole life being afraid of you. Um, that's a, certainly a story to said tell. That? Yes. Cool. Um, so that's certainly a story to tell is her story. Um, and I am very interested in the Man in Black's backstory. But I feel like at this point in the show, it's like, are, are we bringing this in a little too soon? I yeah. like, I, I, yeah, it's a good point. And now that you mention it, you know, I didn't, I'm asking to ask because I'm really yeah. just curious. Oh, okay. It wasn't, I'm not challenging your authority or anything. I'm just curious yeah. as to why it would matter. But that's a good point. It's also, it also serves to maybe humanize the Man in Black a little bit, right? I agree. I think we want to do that this season. And now don't forget what he said at, at an earlier episode to Lawrence. Like, this is like this, the path to the men we could have been. Right. Like, and so, and I said, is there going to be this redemption arc for the Man in Black? And maybe this is a part of it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so, so I feel like this is the logical conclusion that no matter how much Westworld tries to fuck around, somebody said that that she IMDb says her name is Grace, but of course IMDb is going to say her name is Grace. They're not going to call her nameless woman, or we'll be like, oh, it's Man Black's daughter, and they're not going to call her Emily because I won't be like, oh, that's not a surprise. But I don't think they're fooling us. I, I think I think if they have something they want to keep secret, they'll misname her in the credits purposely. Other shows and films have done that. Um, and Brian Blake says, you'd think his daughter would avoid the place that tore her family apart. Um, yes, maybe, but also maybe not. I also think that there's probably some sort of like curiosity and fascination with his obsession with it. And don't forget her life was spent where she would see these hosts. They would be at her family parties. Um, yeah, that's fair. And, you know, when the guy says to her, why would one of them to be pretend to be one of us, her reaction is so like, yeah, why would they? Mm. But she literally grew up with hosts pretending to be humans at her parties, like parties she was at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, I think it can go either way in these cases. I think some people will revisit the things that hurt them mm-hmm. and, and, and caused pain to their families in an attempt to overcome that. Um, or just figure a, out why. Correct. To figure why? out why to overcome the fear and pain that exists there. To, to understand a little bit about your father and by extension you, I think that's a possibility. And then some people will just run from it. I mean, there's there's certainly possibilities. <clears throat> I heard Josh in the chat wants to know, can't she just be a chick that likes to shoot people and bang? <laughs> they're not. They're she not, sure can. They're not mutually exclusive. So good news for you. Maybe she's a man of black's daughter and she likes to shoot people and bang. There you go. Which makes her... The man in black's daughter. <laughs> yeah, actually. That seems logical. <laughs> but um, a cool open. Mind if I join you? Do as you please. So here we see, uh, this was a nice twist because as soon as you see a new character, you're thinking, is it a host or is it a person? Yes. Right? Everyone's thinking the same thing. Apparently she's in uh, the Raj, right? This is British controlled India. Um, so this theme park is, you know, mid to late 1800s to early 1900s. So people want to shoot tigers. Or whatever they want to do, weirdos. But um, you certainly look at one of the park's offerings. I am certainly real. The man is real, of course. She's real. They talk about the park. The woman has her guns all laid out. The simplest way to know for sure, unless you'd rather not. Seems excessive, perhaps, but I want I want you to want this. That was an interesting line from her. Mm-hmm. Told us a little bit about her personality. She didn't want a facsimile of desire. She wanted true desire. Not that I think a woman of her appearance and stature struggles with being desired by with men. With all the cleavage and no bra. Like, good Lord, aren't you afraid they're going to pop out of that? And like, great legs, by the way. It made me very let's uncomfortable. Not, let's not look past those. I couldn't. But, the boobs were too bare. <laughs> the, um, I sure you I do, and not if you're one of them. Anyway, she shoots him, and he falls. He groans, clearly a human. Congratulations. She starts unbuckling his belt. With the boobs, again. <laughs> the boobs are very skillful at unbuckling that belt. Like, the outfit she was wearing, my God. <laughs> I'm very excited about it, clearly. I, I just don't you know some, how they stayed in place. Some feelings to, so to recognize. I don't think they did, to be honest with you. They came out a little. Um, yeah. So, yeah. They're going to travel together. It's cool. And uh, we move to... Clearly in another park. They ride some elephants to a camp. She looks around. She knows something is wrong. Normally there are other hosts here to entertain us, I believe she says. This girl knows the parks real well. She sure does. For her average run-of-the-mill park goer. 
she ain't an average run-of-the-mill park goer. I can tell you that for sure. No matter whose daughter she is or isn't. I wonder if one could be an average run-of-the-mill park goer for forty k a day. No, I. Th- I but you know what I mean. Like there no, are some people mean. who just go. Like you think this guy's been a million times? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You get the impression that she spends a lot of time at Westworld. Hundred percent. She's there by herself. I know he is too, but whatever. And she's probably done this loop a couple times, but based on her reaction to it, yeah, she's like, "Where are the other hosts? They're normally here. They cook for us. They do this." She spots blood on the tent. Inside, she finds a couple of dead people. To which the man laughs at it, assuming it's a twist in the narrative. Oh, a horror! He she says. is not so sure, is she? Then I guess uh, a host shows up named Ganju. He threatens them with he a was... rifle. He murders the blonde man. She grabs her own gun while avoiding getting shot and stabbed by him. And uh, she blows half his face off, doesn't she? Yeah. Um. He's I, one of the guys who brought them in. Right. On like the elephants and stuff. Because she's like, no, we know you, bro. And he's already like, just like that. He's like, just no, like I will kill. I will kill all. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Um. So this is a cool scene. This is us connecting our timelines in a sense. We kind of know when this is. If we know the park is malfunctioning, this immediately knows that we are not 40 years in the past or 50 years in the future. And this is some old lady in the other park. We know that this is most likely occurring across park, park-wide failure um, as a result of uh, the events from the season finale. Which is funny because when I was trying to, and this is my nitpick about this, which which I can explain away, so it's not totally a nitpick. But when they have this scene, and she's like, well, I have to shoot you to see if you're a host or if you're a human. She's like, if you're a human, it's just going to hurt and you're going to be fine. I was like, fuck, this guy's going to be a human and she's going to accidentally kill him for real Mm -hmm. because the guns work now and there's no way to distinguish between hosts and and humans. And then it didn't happen. So I was like, oh, weird. Are we on a different timeline? And maybe it's literally the matter of a day. Like one day everything was normal and the next day was when shit hit the fan. Sure. so that was a nitpick for me because I was certain I knew how that scene was going to go. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck. This guy's going to be human and she's going to kill him by accident. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when that didn't happen, I was like, oh, where are, are you are nitpicking because you were incorrect in your guess? What do you mean? I'm just teasing you. No, no. <laughs> but but that's a nitpick because... Yeah, of course. In, But I guess it's like day to day. So maybe the first day everything was fine and the second day it wasn't fine. There you go. But they found that dead tiger two weeks later. But I guess, did they decompose? We've been asking this question. And we don't know the answer. I guess I guess some of their matter does is mimic mimics real matter, like the way it decomposes and stuff, but I don't think it does at the same with the same veracity as say human flesh, but I could be wrong. Um I think the tiger we saw is clearly the same tiger. I mean, we know that for certain now. It's not yeah. even a, a question, but Yeah. So she's being stalked by the tiger, which is kind of fitting. It charges her, she wounds it, she sets off running makes her way past what's called a, a perimeter, a guest experience area. She's leaving the guest experience area. We hear an automated voice say, warning her, listen, lady, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Can't go out here. Mm-hmm. The tiger uh, ignores these rules as well. Which I don't think they're supposed to do. That must be part of the system-wide park failure. I don't think tigers are supposed they're, to. They're not. It, it has been said yeah. that but, the hosts remain close. Right. A beacon of sorts. And this tiger's like, fuck no, I'm going to be in a different narrative today. Mm. I'm going to kill this bitch, and I'm going to Westworld. Yep. Well, she arrives at a cliff. Her and the tiger uh, go over together as she manages one more shot at it as they tumble down into the abyss. I feel like the tiger's size was too small for a tiger. It didn't look good. Let's be real. It was not good. For a show that spends a shit ton of money, yep. it was not a good tiger. Yep. I think the tiger on, um, what's that other terrible show that I don't watch anymore? The Walking Dead. I think the tiger on The Walking Dead was better. It might be. And I only watched like one episode with that tiger. So it could have gone downhill. Yeah, I don't know. I, I There's the uncanny valley for the human eye when it comes to animals. We've been observing animals for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And when you make one CG, we can still pick up on it. And it's like... It doesn't look right yet. Its size was wrong. And like I watch cats all day that act like tigers, even though they're small house cats. And, like, I feel like if you blew one up to tiger size, like, that tiger did not seem like one of them. Okay. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I feel like I'm an expert on cat movement. Sure. Well, CG animal movement is never quite right. It, yeah. It lacks the speed and ferocity of, of what the thing would really be doing. You I know? wish it would have been a real tiger, but that would have been mean to the tiger to make it act in a TV show. 
<laughs> you don't think it's a member of SAG? Do you think those elephants were real? They look pretty fucking real. They looked real to me. Yeah. I think elephants are so cool. I hope I get to ride on one one day. I feel like I talked about this on another Westworld podcast. I was like really high <laughs> You have elephants. this really weird editorializing tangent going on right now. <laughs> Tell me the, other, the rest of your dreams about weird animals you want to encounter. <laughs> no, I mean, who doesn't want to pet an elephant? I had a friend who just went to Thailand and pet the elephants. I'm so jealous. Carl Strand. So this woman mauling reports that things are pretty bad. They meet up with Hale. Stan reports no luck yet on Arbernathy's whereabouts. She asks uh, Bernard, which of course triggers a memory of Bernard because clearly they are separated. But it's interesting. She's like, oh, Bernard, you're alive. Wow. Mm, scrappier than I thought. Those aren't her words, but. Yeah, she's, she's kind of surprised. Mm, you're so scrappy, Bernard. How did you make it out? You seemed <laughs> real weird when I abandoned, when I jumped on a horse and abandoned you to die. That's fucking hilarious. And she doesn't even care. She's like, oh, you made it out alive. Hmm. <laughs> That's how she talks. Great. So we see Bernard and Hale spying on Rebus's camp. And so now we've kind of gone back a bit here. We're, we're leading up to their separation. OG search for Abernathy is what I wrote. They have some of the guests as prisoners. Hale wonders, how are we going to do this? Rebus considers ransoming off of each of them. And this is hilarious if you pay attention to the dialogue because it's very Westworld time specific. And he's like, what if we ransom them all off for $15 a head? Which is hilarious because clearly if that, if they could trick Rebus into doing that, it would be very easy money for Delos to come up with. Yeah, right. But one of them we know is Abernathy. So Rebus also gets cute about enjoying, quote, end quote, one of the merchandise. Right? Yeah. Hale yells, help, in the distance, causing a distraction. Rebus and his men head out. Rebus comes upon Hale sitting down, and she flippantly pegs him off, which was cute. It was cute. That was the only thing she's done good in the whole show. It's starting, people. And then Bernard ambushes him and gives him a bit of an attitude adjustment, doesn't he? This is so fucking funny. I'm sorry. This is like, this is so funny to me. It's awesome. the, The way he talks is funny. This Let's make you scene. the most virtuous and quickest gun in the West. Oh, it's so funny. This is um, this is cool. It's cool to see how outmatched and outgunned they are by the hosts, yet if they are able to get a hold of one, they can wreak havoc with their program. How easily. Mm-hmm. You completely turn this character different. This must be so fun for an actor. Like this guy who's like, not a huge actor. He's Stephen the guy Ogg. who's in The Walking Dead and he had that like Instagram video where he was with a dog in his car, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, love and him. And he's in Grand Theft Auto. Love him. I only care about the dog in the car like Instagram video and this show. Anyways, he's awesome. We can imagine him where you're like this wicked douchebag like talking about how you're going to like rape women and sell people off to the highest bidder and then all of a sudden you're like the only reason you should touch a woman is like you would touch the petal of a flower. <laughs> like it's so funny. It's just pretty rare to see a total transformation that is not even ironic. <laughs> That's This is one of the joys of Westworld as a television show is this kind of stuff right here. Oh, yeah. This is one of the the, the great, this is one of the great pieces of this show and its ability to execute interesting things with characters Mm -hmm. from changing their identities to wiping out their memories and all of the above anyway rebus goes back to the camp and slaughters all the men while spitting out virtuous poetry (laughs) he frees everyone they all take off and then the confederados show up I like when Rebus runs off. There's a lady running. He's like, man, we shouldn't run alone. Let me escort you. And she's like, get away from me. That's funny. (laughs) I laughed out loud both times. Uh, Bernard and Hale intercept Abernathy, who is crying about his train. He's got to get to the train. And Bernard can help him. Rebus and the Confederados get into a gun battle. Abernathy sings about the glory of the incoming of the Lord. The Confederados close in while Bernard and Hale hide. Sadly, they're discovered rather quickly. Hale managed to escape on horseback. A skillful horseback rider, I will say. Yeah. Hale's like, hey, really needed Abernathy, but fucking peace out, bitches. It's better than dying. <laughs> <laughs> and Bernard's kind of sitting there holding the bag, isn't he? Bernard's like, okay. He's well, just a simple programmer with no martial quality to speak of. God damn you, Ford. <laughs> How dare you program me like this? Could you make me more of a badass war? Damn it. Yeah, seriously. All right. So Dolores in Fort Forlorn Hope. Christ Almighty is the most emo fort ever. Oh, so emo. They're, they write songs about it. Mm-hmm. Like a really emo band. 
I don't know which one, but it'll come to me. Okay. I was like, <laughs> is there a punchline here or are you just I was trying setting to think this up? Like, throw in your joke in the deep end with no oh, punchline. Oh, confessional. That's who was It's not it. there. You got you to workshop it. Maybe next week we'll get to it. I can come up with a good emo band. <laughs> I feel like Dashboard Confessional is the OG emo band, though. You're wrong. What, who's the OG emo band? Um, that's a separate podcast. About <laughs> emo bands? Yes. I will be on that podcast. I have a lot to okay. contribute. You have fun. By yourself. <laughs> you can do it by yourself because that would be so emo. This will emo. be my first solo podcast. I'll cry. I'll It'll paint be, my nails flat. It's so emo because you'll be talking about it by yourself. It'll be just like high school all over again. Dolores in Fort Lorn Hope. So anyway, she shows up at the fort to parlay with the major's commanding officer, this colonel man. This colonel man. This colonel man. They warn the colonel of the, um, of the coming enemy who will stop them from marching for glory in the morning. So this is kind of interesting that this is another thing that Westworld is able to do. They don't really need this huge motivating factor other than to tell them how the colonel's loop will be interrupted and he just can't have it. Mm-hmm. All they're saying is your march for glory is not going to happen. It doesn't matter why or what. It just matters it's not going to happen because these people are coming. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is a situation in the storytelling that you can get away with because it's Westworld. Right. You can just say your mar- not not they're coming to kill you. Not it's it's literally using the loop to manipulate them, right. which is cool. Why should I believe you? The colonel asks, and Angela goes and does a little whistle. And many, uh, many troops with weirdo masks come forth from the bushes. Clementine, looking all vampiric, is among Ooh, them. Zombie, I wrote. I call her zombie Clementine mm. now. She's creepy, dragging creepy a dude. Fuck. And Dolores says that if they combine their forces, they will win. Dolores presents the P90 submachine gun to the colonel, the type of gun they will be coming. Uh, that, will, that will be coming along with them. The colonel fucking shoots the guy as a demonstration. Brap! Is that a real gun? Yes. That one's a lot more dressed up looking. They made it kind of like weird colors. But yeah, the P90, if you Google it, the P90 SMG is a real gun. It's fucking wild. Kill fools for real with that thing. You would. You would, for sure. Um, So, you can keep it in all their weapons. I don't care, says Dolores. Just promise me your men. I need them if we are to survive this threat. So, they gain access to the fort. We get lots of jeering and whistling. And then Teddy warns that these men are animals. And that's when she retorts, they are children. They need to be led. We are not a, we are not a cult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, Dolores, sure, you're not. <laughs> fucking not a cult. Kaplow. Now this is all starting to make sense. Dolores just starting up for a little cult in the middle of Westworld. What do you think of Dolores' storyline thus far? I think Dolores is seriously going fucking crazy, but is also still human. And to be honest, I still think she's in a, in a way bouncing between her two different loops. So you think this is Wyatt. a malfunction? No, I don't necessarily. But I think that as much as she's like, we're free. This is all my own in my own thoughts. I don't know how 100% true that is. Because her actions seem to be, other than like the one time where I said I felt like she made a decision that was in between the two when we talked about with the people hanging. Um, right. I feel like her actions have been very much Wyatt or Dolores. Do you know what I mean? So it's interesting to me. Because hmm. we never really saw her much as Wyatt, but I imagine that this is exactly what Wyatt would be like. I see. Based on the stories we heard about Wyatt. Which means that this is some sort of master stroke from Ford to bring the whole parks to their knees. I don't know if that's the truth or if I don't know if it's impossible for them to completely be their own personality or if it's still, even if they're doing their own thing, if they're still bouncing between the loops they've been given. Because isn't that what Maeve's doing too? It's possible that... They're still limited by their initial programming and any decision or action they take is being reverted to that. But I think what we are seeing with Dolores is a big change in character. I think we're seeing somebody who is gone from a simple farmer's daughter who was there for whatever whimsical desires rich people have to somebody who is more aggressive, deceptive, murderous, conspiratorial. But isn't this exactly who Wyatt was? It is. So is she actually a different person or is she just Wyatt? 
And we don't know because we've never seen her as Wyatt before, except in that one Perhaps flashback. the better question is, does it matter because she's still acting the way she's acting, um, right? There's still, I feel like it matters, but I don't know. It doesn't really. It doesn't matter if she's on a loop or off a loop or has free will or doesn't. The fact remains that she's doing what she's doing and, and causing death, right? I think she is leading to a real epic downfall. I think you're probably onto something with that. And that's what I've always started to ask myself the question of, does it matter? Is it, is, is it free will or, or is it not? Uh, there are some philosophers today that believe free will is just a non-starter. It does not exist. And we simply respond the way we do because of our fucking brains being pre-programmed. And I think it's kind of interesting to think, even if that is the truth, it doesn't matter if you do bad deeds, you have to be dealt with. And that's what's cool about Dolores. Like she's just doing her thing. It doesn't matter if she thinks she's being free or not being free. She's still doing the shit she's doing. People are getting killed. Strands men are getting murdered. And um, like real people who are there to rescue rich people are getting murdered. Uh, rich people are being murdered. Hosts, you could say, are being murdered. Rich people, too many of them. <clears throat> Let them go. I'm so, a poor person. I'd be fine. Yeah. Um, let me see here. So, Maeve. yeah. Maeve, Lee, and Hector. My favorites that we do not see enough of. Yeah, it's a good dynamic. Fail on the show. So Lee reminds Maeve that a rescue will happen and that the hostiles, the hostile hosts will be put down. He's like, AKA you, or however he says it. I wrote AKA Maeve in my notes, but he's basically like the hostile hosts, you. (laughs) Why is he doing that? Why does he continuously taunt her with that information, do you think? I don't think that he's taunting her. I think he's literally trying to tell her like, hey, they are coming and they're going to kill you because I think he's afraid of getting caught in the crossfire. Right. So does he think maybe by saying it, he'll scare her off and he'll get rescued? I I do. I, I literally think he's trying to like expect her to just be like, okay, you're right. You're right. Seems about right. Seems um, like a reasonable Which she'll never line. be, but that's how he is. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, we move over to uh, the Lakota. By the way, are these guys Ghost Nation? Because they I are- I call them Ghost Nation. Yeah, they're speaking Lakota, which is interesting. Oh that, my God, my cats are getting into a fight. That, they're fine. It's, that, it's a fake fight, but- That according to the- um, um, that according to the uh, subtitles. Yeah, Lakota we learned today. Do they say, what's a Hokai? Do they say that? <laughs> they do not. Right. <laughs> they don't all speak the same language, just so you know. <laughs> they have many, many languages. Well, Jessica, you're racist. <laughs> uh, but the Lakota, no. The, um, it, the, the subtitles tell me that Lakota is what is being spoken, which is fascinating to me because the Ghost Nation to me was just a... It, the Ghost Nation to me was a fictional Indian tribe. Just like this whole Westworld thing is fictional. They need to have a language, though. There's no, they don't reference America. They don't reference... Yeah, but they have to speak a language. So they probably just like, what's well, a cool Indian language? And then that's the one they pick because like Lakota is a cool word and sounds you cool. You could be right. In that, that you might be... It's possible, and Lee would know, right? He wrote them. It's possible that that's, that's all it is. It could be that innocuous. Like, well... We're going to call them Ghost Nation. We'll use Lakota. So it could it could be that simple. But I thought it was interesting that we saw a subtitle for... That we knew. That yeah. a, a, a known language in our world mm-hmm. that we've only ever seen them speaking English and Westworld, right? Right. Well, no, I guess no. Spanish, because Hector... Oh, yeah, Hector speaks Spanish. Then it doesn't matter. No. I don't know why I'm hung up on this. I don't know why either, but no, I was just thinking about Lee. What's that? Like, no, he'd be really, really good at role-playing games. <laughs> right? That's funny. Isn't, I think all of these people would be good at that. Isn't Lee just literally made to run a Dungeons & Dragons game? Like, isn't that what he did? Wasn't that how he came to write for Westworld? Correct. This is how he began. I think they I think they went deep into his mom's basement one day and found him with a group of captivated, like a, a group of captivated young men of, of 15 to 21 years old. Because he was for sure the guy right at the story. Oh, yeah. Like, he was not fucker. And then when people would say shit that was boring, he would yell at them and he would kick them out, I think. Maybe. It'd just kill their characters. He, yeah. And then he would not let them regenerate or whatever they were allowed to do. <laughs> what the fuck? Can you regenerate in um, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons? The, behind, the quick behind the scenes thing here is <laughs> Jessica thinks she's becoming a role-playing game expert. Because of our intentions of possibly launching a live play podcast on role playing. <laughs> I listened to one podcast about role playing and I asked Dean a hundred questions and now I know so much. 
<laughs> You're just the young patty one, I'm afraid. And you can shoot me in the face later for using that word. All right. Oh, I will. Don't worry. Um, Maeve Hector. isn't having it. And Hector knows Lakota, by the way. Correct. Just wanted to he, I'm out. sure he deals with them often. Yeah. Let He's them go and forget you saw us. They get into a pretty aggressive stance. Uh, Lee runs. They want the white man, and uh, Hector's not having it. So Hector warns them with the shots at their feet, and then this escalates, and they're forced to run until they manage to get underground before being murdered by the Ghost Nation. I like this. I like that they are specifically hunting Lee. Yes, I like that too. Hmm. Um, Raises questions. Why him? Is it because they know he's a person? Yeah. Maybe they have a sense for that. Well, they're not going to go against Hector, and maybe they can tell like that him and Maeve are like an item. So they're like, oh, I'll just take that out of the breath. I'm sure that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's interesting is just like Maeve's like, I need him, and Hector's like, you got it, babe. Um, but also what's interesting is that Maeve tries to, I wrote in my notes, use her powers, but you yeah. guys know what I mean. Like Maeve has been able to voice control the hosts up until very recently we've seen and all of a sudden, she does not have that ability anymore, which yeah, continues did, along on the fact of they are becoming more and more sentient. How did that happen? Do we did, was there like a letter of demar a line of demarcation where she just couldn't have it anymore, and we this missed it? This is the it? first time we've seen it happen. Because she did she she literally tried to control them. I missed that. Yeah, because she says you're going to let us go and okay, forget you ever saw us. She wasn't saying that being cute. Got it. She was saying that because. During the, what we've seen. When she first met Lee, they would have left and forgot they ever saw her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why she can't control them, but I, I don't think it's just them. Brian Blake says why she can't control them like the others. I don't know if it's just them. I wonder if it's that she can't control hosts once they are self-actualized, basically. Yeah, once they go off their yeah. loops. Maybe, yeah. I think off their loops and self-actualized are two. Uh, is it, there's a giant step between them. Yeah. Coming off your loop is one thing. Realizing you're a host in a park is a totally different thing. And maybe these people knowing who Lee is, is trying to show us that they know their hosts in a park and that's why they want Lee. And that's why Maeve doesn't have control over them. It's possible. I yeah. Mean, the, we don't, we don't even know. here. Yeah. I mean, it could be, it could be 50 things. And you know, my, my thought process was when it was brought up on one of the earlier episodes, either, I mean, there's only two other ones, but I was suggesting perhaps Maeve was trying to respect the free will of the hosts and not trying to control them to do her bidding, but maybe she would use this as an example to push them off if they were going to try to kill her or take si- uh, Lee. I keep calling him Simon. I don't know why. I don't know why. Because Simon from The Voice, I don't know. But, um, what? I don't even watch it. I don't know. Simon only- is not even a person on The Voice. <laughs> well, I don't see shows you what I know. Thank God I, I got that wrong. I've been in like 10 years. There's the only, no Simon. He reminds me of the British dude on the other... There's only two <laughs> British people on TV. There's this guy and the guy... What's the show called? American Idol. Okay, that's the one. What about um the guy who yells at people in his kitchen? He's British, isn't he? Uh, I don't know those sh- cooking shows. Sorry. All right. I love cooking shows. Um. Yeah, so I don't know. There could be... I, I don't know why. But anyway, back to Fort Forlorn. Forlorn. Fort Forlorn. Abernathy's tied up. Dolores demands to talk to him alone. Teddy has to smash a guy for this to happen, but he takes Abernathy to the infirmary and orders Bernard tossed in jail. Um, Teddy reports that Abernathy is refusing food and water. Dolores reveals that Abernathy is, in fact, her father. He takes his hat off and show of respect. Gotta love Teddy. Oh, I know. Look what they've done to him. You're all I have left now, Teddy. Um, this is good stuff out of Dolores. I like seeing her... Be Dolores again? Be Dolores when faced with her father. I like seeing this callback to earlier feelings. I like her having... I like her display of emotion, simulated loop, free will or otherwise, because it humanizes her a little bit more, right? Right. And he says, he being Abernathy... I am bound upon a wheel of fire that mine own tears do scald like molten lead. It's always spitting biblical. He recognizes her finally. Dolores, question mark? The calves in the field are worried. He goes right to his loop, right? Yes. So so Abernathy's pretty limited. But but the other thing's a loop too, because remember he would speak poetry before and they said that was from a previous loop where he's like a Shakespearean actor or something. Yes, yes, yes. So he's basically like... he was a villain? 
Yeah, but he, it's some type of Shakespearean thing. So I remember he would say like that type of fancy shit and they were like, oh yeah, that's from an old loop. Mm-hmm. So like, maybe it's Shakespearean and not the Bible. Shows you how versed I'm on either one I don't one know, of that those. could have been the Bible. doesn't matter. I know a lot about Shakespeare and he's real cool, but that's about it. Anyway. Hear that everybody? Shakespeare expert right there. I went to his hometown once, okay? Wow. That makes Just you saying. an expert. I also took a class about him in college. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, that's a loop. Like the, the all that poetry he's like spouting is a loop. Sure. He's like an English teacher or something. I don't remember the mm-hmm. details, but essentially that's what that's from. And then he sees Dolores and then he goes into that loop where Dolores thinks he's recognizing her, but he's not. He's I don't just know if going she into a loop. That. Yes, she does. She does. I she think, does think that. Why do you think that? Because of her reaction. My yes. So okay, listen to my listen to my point on that. Isn't it possible that she looks at that reaction and is sad at the memory of it and then ultimately sad because she knows it's bullshit? I don't think so. I think that she doesn't realize he's on a loop at first. Okay. I, I really think that she doesn't realize it's not real and she thinks he understands at first. Part of me feels like Dolores has gained this like enlightenment and knows the truth of everything around her. And that might make for a sad and tragic perspective on her own father that's not really her father. I, I think that once Bernard talks to her about it, that's one thing. But I, in this scene, I, I, I have an opposite read of you. I think that she believes it's actually her father and that he recognizes her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he does. I think it's a loop and she doesn't realize that. And it's not. She thinks he understands and he doesn't. And it's not possible. It's both. Like she sees him, gets that initial feeling, and then as time goes on, she considers it more and is it, saddened in this, by it. In this whole scene, I think that she thinks he's her father. I think when she tells him about how she escaped with like the pull of a trigger and all this stuff, mm-hmm. that she's thinking that he understands. Okay. He doesn't because he's on a loop. All right. I really, truly believe she in this says, scene. She says, you told me once to run away and I did. I broke free with a pull of a trigger. That's a good line. Yeah. And it started a war. The others, they don't see it yet, but you, you understand, exactly. don't you? Question mark. There you go. She thinks he understands. She asks him if he understands. But you, but understand, you see, don't, don't you? you? Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not, that's like when I'm like, Dean, you're going to wash the dishes, aren't you? I'm not asking you because I'm questioning if you're going to wash the dishes. I'm telling you, like, I know you're going to wash the dishes. I'm just saying a question. You can act like that's the life that you lead here and and fucking whip up this fantasy tale where you boss me around all day, but we all know the realities. Thank you, Brian Blake. He was a cult leader who recited Shakespeare in a pastime. I knew he did a lot of Shakespeare, and I thought he was an English teacher. A cult leader is the same fucking thing, okay? I went Mm -hmm. to college, I know. To answer your question, I don't know if she's speaking rhetorically to her father, but hey. Hey, let's agree to disagree. Yeah, that's fine. All right, cool. I'm okay with it. Abernathy says, it's getting late. We got to go home. I want to go home. I need to to the train. He's fucking all fucked up. And this is the point where I think she's like, oh my God, fuck, something's wrong. I need someone to help him. So I better go talk to my friend Bernard. It's also hard on her. I mean, this is emotionally damaging for her to see this man she cares about by way of whatever, but clearly she cares about him. It's hard on her, right? In the same way Maeve cares about her daughter. Correct. So we go back to Maeve. Hector and Lee, they continue walking through the underground part of the park. Hector asks Maeve about the warrior they encountered. She calls him a wraith from her past. Mm-hmm. Lee is incredulous at the closeness of Hector and Maeve. You're in love with Isabella. Not so much anymore, says Hector. What do you think of this scene? I had some problems. Really? Yes. Go for it. I feel like the show did a lot of talky-talky explaining that they didn't need to do. Right here? Yes. What did you think of Hector saying, when I woke up in the place where you play God, I realized that Isabella no. was a lie. Just words in my head, but this, this is true. She is my light. It, it was it was like the Lee stuff, where Maeve's like, oh, so I guess it, Isabella was your love and she didn't die. Oh, and Hector's blah, blah, blah. And, this is it. and I was like, oh, I love you, Maeve, and I love you and Lee interacting, and I love all of this, but this was like, to me, like Westworld being like, hey, audience, you've had to think a lot, so now we're going to just dumb this down for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I immediately got it by the, the fact that Lee was so upset about this, that Hector wasn't supposed to love Maeve. He was never supposed to love anything but Isabella. It was very clear that it was a personal thing for him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that he was mad. His story wasn't it playing wasn't out. It wasn't just an ego thing. It was right. deeper. So I didn't need them to sit and explain to me exactly what it was. I mm-hmm. got it. Like, I got it. 
And I feel like the audience got it. There you go. You're probably right about that. It does, it does get a little talky talk. But you know what? I really like Hector. I think he's very handsome, and I think he's my crush on the show. Nice. Do you believe Hector? I believe that he thinks he loves Maeve and not Isabella, yes. Again, doesn't matter. <laughs> does does he actually, or does he just think he does? I don't know. But What difference does it make? I don't know if it does. I just, but I do love the part where Hector starts talking and like Lee speaks along with him because he knows all the lines because he wrote them. I think. That was slick. That's the thing about Lee being involved with these people is is his role as a writer is so interesting to see play out. I liked when um, Hector got mad at that too. Yes. It makes sense he would, right? That's Because it's his emotions that he thinks he's feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I heart Josh says, are they trying to give Lee some dimension? Yes, I think that they are. And I appreciate that they are. But I feel like they were like, hey, this guy Lee that you hated, he had this sad story and this girl left him and he was sad. And then he made Hector because he wanted to be Hector. And we're telling you that. And I was like, hey, I got it. I I just feel like they were too talky-talky about it. Like they could have shown us this. And they were starting to show it to us without flat out saying, hey, here's the story. Let us tell you word for word what it is. Like, that's not Westworld's normal style. And I just didn't like the style of the way they went about revealing it to us. I agree. That was my complaint. For- Forlorn Hope, Bernard and Dolores. It's been some time, Bernard, since we talked, just you and I. What are you doing, Dolores? You don't know who you are, do you? The man you're based on. I wonder if there is any of him in you. I was a what did you say? I was a character, a story, and a function to serve just like you. My whole life is being dictated by someone else, but now I feel like I've discovered my own voice, and it says I may. There's nothing I want to show you. There is something I want to show you, Bernard, right? And that's when Dolores brings uh, Bernard to Abernathy. He's broken, and I don't know how to fix him. I'm hoping you do. And Bernard just asks, what do you want? I want to dominate this world, Dolores says. And um, that's when Bernard reveals to her some pretty important information that she needs to know. This world is just a speck of dust sitting on a much bigger world. There is no dominating it. But she... She counters with the, you've never been outside the park, have you? It's interesting that Dolores knows who Arnold is, knows who Bernard is, knows the difference, isn't sure that he knows. And in her understanding of the fact that she has been outside of the park and he never has. Mm Mm-hmm. Arnold showed her those things and not Bernard. There's a difference. I have, ha- I, I have, and the world out there is marked by a by survival by a kind who refuses to die. And here we are, a kind that will never know death, and yet we are fighting to live. That was a cool line, man. I agree. Right? There is beauty in what we are. Shouldn't we too try to survive? What a wacky concept. We're not alive. We will never know death, and yet we are fighting to live. I, I like that. I like there's beauty in what we are. It's, it is a good line. It's a, it's an interesting way to see how she views herself mm. now that she knows the truth. You could do a whole philosophical discussion on just that sentence alone. Yeah, I think this would be great for a philosophy class. There you go. You could get into uh, death. What does it mean? Were they ever alive? Can they not know death? Is them being shut off and faced with the possibility of some sort of oblivion by way of a hard memory wipe? Is that a death of sorts? What does it mean, right? Kind of interesting. I just wish philosophy classes like in school had been this interesting, personally. Maeve, Lee, and Hector, they come upon gunfire, chaos, fire. Sounds like armistice to me. Men on fire. Men on fire. Not even just buildings. Legit humans. That was a great, that was really cool cinematography. That shit, when people are on fire... I'm always like, oh my God, this is the fucking worst. It's crazy. I can't. Like, it It looks so awful. May have freeze Felix and Sylvester. And uh, the grenade, I know, is a source of contention for some people. But yeah. it, yeah, you know, what I are you going to do? I can't really help. Back over to Abernathy, Bernard is, uh, we knew Armistice was probably going to come back, huh? It's cool to see her. Yeah. She ain't fucking around. Everyone in the chat is like, dragons, dragons, dragons. <laughs> Abernathy says, Bernard is caring for him. Dolores is clearly concerned. Uh, Bernard calls him wildly unstable. And he says, someone jury-rigged a thin character and programmed it onto him. It's very strange. It seems like it is masking a bigger file, an immensely complex encryption key. They've sullied him, Dolores says, as a pawn in their game. So, this is the point where Bernard explains that he's bouncing between old roles. 
mm-hmm. which so Dolores should understand. Um, and it was interesting is that Bernard doesn't know what this is, but he should because Charlotte Hale already told him about this. Right? Or no, not Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he learned about this from Ford or from somebody else in season one. They talked about this. This is why he went after Elsie, right? They just knew that he was being smuggled out of the park. But I feel like, didn't Bernard oh, wait, no, know that, that there was information? I don't, I don't know. I feel like he knew there was new information. I don't recall. Like that they were trying to smuggle him out with information. That there was a plant. He was trying to figure out who was doing it. And then he sent Elsie to figure it out. And Elsie's like, oh shit, it's Teresa. No, that's not. That was when that guy went off his loop, right? And walked out no. to wherever and they had to smash his head in. No, that's totally different. Okay. When he goes to grab Elsie, Elsie's trying to figure out who's trying to smuggle information on a Westworld. So he knows that people are trying to smuggle information on a Westworld via hosts. Or he just doesn't remember. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I'm like, he doesn't remember these things. Right. Like his memory is limited. So yeah, how much he, does he remember and how much doesn't he? Don't know. That's all I'm asking. But um, yeah, we don't know. That's what's interesting about Bernard is we don't know how much he knows and how much he doesn't know and what he recalls and what he doesn't. But clearly he strangled. We do know that he had a memory of strangling Elsie because that was how we knew because they showed him remembering it when he was dealing with Ford. Who's the person who loves Elsie so much? William Alvarez? Is that who it is? Don't know. Or is it LSK? LSK? I don't know. There's somebody who really loves Elsie. Somebody who? Somebody where? Who are you talking to? One of our listeners. (laughs) Okay. But they're not in the chat today. You got to give people a frame of reference here, my friend. I I was just wondering because I think it's LSK and he says Elsie's definitely coming back. For those of you that don't know, LSK is a listener who frequently would contribute to the show by way of texting into the uh, into the mixler here and not us like texting feelings. us personally, but I'm sure he would if he could. So Hale, back to Sh- Hale and Strand's men. How she uh, we see that she hooked up with them. We learn that the park wide sweep hasn't started yet. That's uh, an important piece of dialogue because it tells us that they have obviously a protocol in place, and that protocol has not yet been enacted by Strand, which is a park wide sweep according to Hale. But Ford Forlorn is on the list, and uh, he's going to take some men to go do her thing, which is obviously going to be to go get Abernathy, right? Correct. That's why she wants to go. She's she like, needs Ooh. a strike team, as it were. And we shoot over to Fort Forlorn. So it's at this point where I'm 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 happy to say that there's nothing overly complicated about what's going on here. Like she wants to get Abernathy back. We know she's trying to smuggle something out of there. Um, she's we know that Strand and his men are there to rescue people. We know that Bernard's just kind of doing his thing. And uh, Dolores has motivation for revenge and blah, blah, blah. And Maeve has her thing. I mean, it's not an overly complicated thing. And I think sometimes people get lost in the minutiae. But if you pull back from all of the scenes and, and everything else, it's kind of a simple thing going on here, right? There are a couple of mysterious things occurring, but the story by and large seems simple to me and easy to follow. Right. Right? So, for Forlorn... We have uh, scouts coming back reporting that the enemy is en route and they're coming up from the ground. I love when they say that. They're coming up from the ground. Right. Like, because imagine how that looks to these guys. Sure. They've never seen shit like this. Like, it's just imagine something like that you can't imagine happening, happening like that. Right. It must be like so overwhelming. It's cool. It, it really is cool. That line, like the panic, it, it's really, really cool. There's lots of nitro on the field. Some explosives are set up. Uh, Abernathy and Bernard. Abernathy sputters on about the train some more, and then he laughs. Oh, before you say that, before you like get to that point, go for it. So, so Dolores is trying to explain like the game plan, and she says, "Okay, she wants them to hold their ground until oh, right. they can't any longer, and then retreat." And she's like, "But hold your ground for as long as possible." And the guy's like, "Listen, <laughs> we don't normally retreat. That's not our mo." And she's like, no, you have to. The only way we win is if you retreat. Like, they are more powerful. You saw their guns. Like, you have to retreat. And this is interesting because mm-hmm. we know that she's basically <laughs> going to fuck these people all over and call, cause all of their deaths. Right. So. Which is fascinating because she was just preaching about how horrible it was that Abernathy was being used as a pawn. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, some of us don't deserve it. Apparently, mm-hmm. Dolores is God and she chooses who does and who doesn't. It just, but it just shows you another layer of complexity to her because humans compromise their ethics all the time, right? All of us on some level. Not me. Oh, yeah. You're perfect. I forgot. Um, yeah, that's right. But this is a good example of that. She was just preaching about how terrible it was that Abernathy got used. 
And now she's going to use all of these people. Mm-hmm. And a part of me wonders, is that because she feels like as she is so astutely aware, seemingly, of her own existence, her own sentience, that she somehow sees them lesser? She refers to them as children. Are they to be used as such? Is she a god-like person among them? Yeah, she thinks she is, I think. Mm, pretty wild. Mm, Wyatt. The rules don't apply to her because she is above them, perhaps. Which Maeve said to her in the last episode. Correct. She's basically like, oh, you say everybody's free, but you want them to do what you want them to do. Indeed. Maybe Maeve is the most self-actualized. Maybe. Right? Anyway. Um, what is the use of the what what is the use of the violent kind of delightfulness if there is no pleasure? He sputters around some more, and then Bernard appears to crack the encryption by saying, Oh my god. And it pops up and says, one time use key. That's what it reads. Got it. Um, and do you notice how much Bernard is starting to shake again? Yeah, he's getting bad. Oh my God, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It's Bernard. Check that spunk coming out of his ear too. Oh, I wish you wouldn't have called it that. It made me uncomfortable. Sorry. Um, <laughs> great. So at Forlorn, the men are already um, steady themselves on the walls and await the enemy. I like this. I like this. I like that we're going to do kind of a big action set piece. This is neat. They built this entire set as you learned behind the scenes. That was yeah. cool. And um, it was it was interesting to hear the actors refer to how you, when you act on a big set like this, you can really get into character. It feels real. It's yeah, I'm really sure. there. You're interacting when you're not with in it. a green screen, that helps. Mm-hmm. But um the 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 park the park rescue team, the search and rescue team approaches. And I gotta tell you. This is one of my contentions with the with the show is this particular moment where these guys are 150 to 200 yards away and they're just sort of aimlessly walking with submachine guns, which is admitted very short range weapon and just launching bullets at a fort. It's just dumb to me. It, it kind of drove me crazy, to be honest with you. Whereas yeah. the Confederados and those guys are being smart. They've got old school rifles. They've taken cover. They're kneeling down. I feel like these guys could have, if they're a tack team, I feel like they could have come up with a better approach to the fort in, instead of just running down the field. I mean, there's no reason for them to think they couldn't be hurt by the hosts. That's why they're here, because hosts are hurting people. So they know they're vulnerable. And to just come openly across the field like stormtroopers, and I think somebody actually quoted them as being like stormtrooper-like. Mm-hmm. It might have been Jay uh, Tick. It's just, it's just ludicrous to me. Like I, that, that kind of was annoying to me because I love the show has always been good about executing things and it doesn't need to be, I'm not asking for saving private Ryan, but I'm asking for something that Realistic. A, a group of professional men who are attack team that are sent in to rescue people in a hostile situation where there's a bunch of guns in a fucking fort that they wouldn't just mosey across the field with P90s and dune buggies sort of flanking them on their sides. It's just suicide to me. If the hosts were... They, so many people probably needlessly died as a result of it if the hosts were just picking them off from their from their fixed positions, you know? They deserved it. They did deserve it. Fuck them. They were wearing those bulletproof vests though that Charlotte Hale really wanted. But and, so she could sit in a fucking car <laughs> like a douche wagon. But I'll get over it. You I don't like won't. her all tacked up with her vest? I hate her. You liar. In the chat, we established that she doesn't like cats, so... Well, slowly but surely, you're going to like her. <laughs> nope, that's going to be a hard no. Anyway, cool tension, but the attacking people are stupid. Bernard hides as two men grab Abernathy. Angela signals her men. And what happens? Um, Dolores essentially locks them out and leaves them to get slaughtered. Sure does. And she's like, hey, I told you I needed your men. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Dolores, you are a horrible person. They managed to load uh, Abernathy into the vehicles and, and get out in the nick of time. So, so Hale has Abernathy. That's an interesting. For now. That's an interesting turn of events. Oof. And I believe Dolores is something along the lines of split up our horde and send them in every direction to make mm-hmm. sure they properly retrieve Abernathy because, of course, she wants her father back. Mm-hmm. She then tells Teddy that they're going to go to Sweetwater. They have something there they need. And then she tells them to kill everybody, right? And Bernard gets um, dragged away by Clementine Zombie. Did we say that part? Mm-hmm. You did say that part? Yeah, because Hale... Ha- oh, no, no. Well, I didn't say that part. Oh, okay. Yep. Dragged away by Clementine. That happens before Dolores tries to tell Teddy that he needs to murder people now because she says so. Yep. And Teddy's like, hmm, I love you, Dolores, but this is getting real cult-like. And I think I have to take a step back. I don't want to cut out my family. 
I want to call them on Christmas. Though. I like that the major says the blood is on your hand. Their blood is on your hands. I knew the major was going to be a, a major character. <laughs> no pun intended, but pun intended. <laughs> the major appeals to Teddy's humanity, which is ironic. Um, and then Teddy lets the major go. Yeah, because Teddy actually has humanity. With Dolores watching. And Does Dolores he? is not happy. No, he's just a kind little <laughs> soldier. He has that which he is programmed to have. But is he not programmed to be undyingly loyal to Dolores? Mm, so. Because didn't he previously, on the loop where she killed Arnold, he was her follower mm-hmm. as Wyatt? So maybe Teddy is. Did we see Teddy? Was Teddy himself. was Teddy murdering people right along her side when she was Wyatt? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because he has those memories in season one. Um, about, but perhaps that was more of a hard programming for him on that at that time. Well, that was a backstory supposedly Ford just gave him. Right. Right. Um. But I think it just is. A, it's just a question of the order of priority. Is he more loyal to? I mean, I don't know. It's tough to say. It's just interesting that, I don't know, like, is Teddy, by doing his own thing and just being a good old boy, maybe that is different because maybe he's just supposed to do what Dolores says. I think think this comes back to it. What matters is he did do something different, and that's the interesting thing. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. He did. He let him go. And with Dolores watching, no less, and I'm sure she's not happy about it, so I'm wondering what kind of conflict it will cause between them because— I think it's high time that we have conflict between Dolores and Teddy. I think I think Bernard can offer that too, but I think it, it'd be nice to see some of that going on here. Um, there could be a really good dynamic between Dolores, Bernard, and Teddy. There's just, well, we don't know where Bernard is because a zombie took him. No, right, right. Um, Teddy, there's potential for Teddy. Like, I get it. Teddy's boring and... But they can do something with him. There can be more to Teddy's story. Mm-hmm. And and I think kind of being the good old boy and his personality is what his story is. And I think him going against Dolores is the story that we have to be leading to. Sure. Yeah. And is that what and is is that why he ends up dead? Who knows? Oh. If he's dead. But we see the woman from the uh Raj Park there swimming to shore. She's gasping and M-I-B coughing. Junior, I like to call her. And she and she's met by a ghost nation, three warriors. Bad news for her. Hmm. Just saying. That'll be an interesting thing to see what they do with her. They either got to put her with our other people, or what do you mean? Like they have to put her with somebody else we know. Oh no, no, I'm I'm, I'm saying I wonder what's going to happen with the ghost nation. Oh, I think they're going to scalp her. I think that's what they do. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think they're going to take her and then scalp her. I don't know. I think they're just going to take her and then they use her for ransom. Maybe. Tough to say. Looking forward to it, though. I like that dynamic. I didn't expect them to find her. I just feel like we have to put her with people we know because we don't care about her and we care about other people. It's possible that her experience with the Ghost Nation will endear her to us. If I have to watch her alone with nobody else I know with Ghost Nation for an entire season, I'm going to be very negative about her. Maybe not an entire season. I don't want to be negative about her. Maybe not an entire season. I want to be positive about her, so let's have Maeve rescue her or something and let her hang out with them. Although I feel like Hector would like, I don't want Hector to like date her or anything. Well, I think, I think what we're probably going to see is she's not going to get in with somebody who knows everything already because her mystery, they're going to want to unravel a little bit slowly. Maybe that's why they stick with the ghost nation for now. And then we'll see where she goes from there. She's clearly the ghost nation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Maeve, Hector, and Lee. Um, Snow, what the fuck? Oh, love it. Looks beautiful. Beautiful cinematography, like great scene. I, I just love, love, love. Because you saw it in the previews, like Maeve looking up and like the snow on her face. It's just beautiful. Like, I just love it. I love the way it looks. I love the idea of somebody living in a place like Westworld where it never snows. It's warm and sandy and westerny every day. Um, being out in the snow. Lee refers to it as the Klondike narrative. Yeah, close to the homesteads. He says three or four sectors east of the narrative. Of the homestead narrative. Yeah, interesting, by the way, east. As in, like the you know the the when, from the U.S. Asia is the east, so I wonder if they mapped it kind of similarly. But Lee digs up a samurai head in the snow. Oh my god, that is so bad! And him running, he's like, "We have to go, we have to go." And then we see a samurai charging from the blackness, and we cut to black. What'd you think of the introduction of a random samurai? Not a fan. 
Yeah, it's a little. Um, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm excited to see that. I think we're going to. I wonder what's going to happen here. I I I have a feeling that they're going to make friends, and that would be cool. I think that I know we have a lot of parks, and I know Maeve having to go through a lot of parks to get to her daughter is giving us the opportunity to see a lot of things. But I don't want the show to spread itself too thin. And right. I feel like it's this episode was very, very, very much like teetering on the edge of that. I don't think, and the other thing is, I don't think they've wandered into Samurai Park. I think those guys wandered out of it, right? I, I think that's, I think we're still kind of in Westworld. Which is fine. That's why I, I don't Well, they're I don't, not in Westworld, they're in the Klondike narrative. Right. But I think we're seeing that. I don't think they're wandering. Th- I think those guys, I'm just curious as to if these they're samurai, both in the wrong, they're all both in the wrong place. Narrative, yes. And that's what's, I agree. and just like the tiger, just like this woman, everything's getting fucking jumbled together. Right, and I agree with that, and that's fine. I just, I do not want the show to spread itself too thin by giving us too many characters and too many narratives in too many places. I agree. It's hard to do. It is hard to have an ensemble show. Mm-hmm. And to give all your people due time but it's so easy in a show like Westworld where you have the opportunity to create so many different worlds to want to do it. Right. And like this like really like teetered at the edge of like me being like, ooh. Just we're, because we're they can. The they never ask themselves if they should. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I'm Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> oh my God. He's an angel. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see about that. But you, um, your initial impressions were you were kind of down on it. And they introduced a little too much. How do you feel about that now after talking it through? I still think that they introduced a little bit too much. And I I still feel like the other two episodes were better. But I guess I won't call it like the worst. I'll just say it wasn't as good as the (laughs) other two episodes. (laughs) Well, I guess by extension, it's the worst. So it's not like you're wrong in saying it, you know. But, but you know, there was was definitely good stuff and interesting stuff. Right. I agree. I just don't want them to be... Too crazy. You don't want to meet five new samurai characters, three new Raj Park characters, fucking like. I don't want this to just be like a role playing game. (laughs) I don't think that applies. I don't think that applies here. Yeah, because can you just create a lot of different worlds? Keep practicing and listen to those podcasts I told you about. (laughs) You hear me? I gotta like watch people like play a role playing game like as a spectator. Can you do? Role-playing spectator. Absolutely. Chip. Just go on Twitch. There's people playing 24-7. I don't know about Twitch. All right. Well, before we go off on another tangent that isn't largely relevant, especially at the end of the episode here, I'm going to say, what do you want to do for some of those tasty and delicious listener comments we got this week? There's quite a few. Do you want me to go first? I sure do because I'm, as per usual, unprepared with listener comments. Okay. Well, Brian Blake wrote a fucking novel, so I'm going to kind of go oh, through it. Oh, he's in the chat. Hello, friend. Hello, Brian. He says, is it possible for Robot to become a sociopath? If so, I think Dolores is on her way. She seems like she's willing to do whatever it takes to achieve her goal. I wouldn't be surprised if everyone in her group gets a sacrifice, gets sacrificed in the end, Teddy included. Um, let me see. He complains about the CG Tigers. Uh, I know we have an explanation as to how guns work, but I'd love to hear how they keep guests from being torn to shreds by a terribly animated tiger. Um, it seems Maeve's power of the host has limits. Makes me wonder if she should, if she wrote should could, have made Dolores move after all. What makes the Ghost Nation so special? Maybe it's as simple as they don't speak English. See, he thought the same thing. I know I've had the feeling that they're special since they walked, since they were talked about in the first season. Let's get to, uh, I'm going to scoop to the end. Is the girl from the beginning a host? She didn't take the test and she didn't, and she did survive a pretty big fall, but that could just be regular Hollywood magic. Is she human? I want to know who goes to a park designed to escape the consequences of the real world and searches out another human to have sex with? Question mark. Besides all my nitpicking, I really enjoyed it. Oh, and I love that in episode one, you hear Stephen Ogg's character being all chivalrous, which didn't make sense at all, but now it does. That is so funny that he says that. Oh my God, I didn't even... Oh, that is so funny. Yep, Good catch by uh, Mr. Blake. Thank oh, you, sir. I love it. Um, do you have anybody you'd like to go? I'm going to read Jason Tech's comment. Do it. Um, I thought this may have been the worst episode this season. While there were some shiny moments, there were some what-the-fuck moments as well. This place is supposed to be top of the line and rich as shit. 
I would expect you to have some good-ass security, and you'd think they would be ready for some sort of revolt, robot-going-crazy situation, since they believe that Arnold was killed by robot-gone-crazy. Yet we have a fleet of dudes charging Confederate base while they just could have sat back with M5s. Imagine they would have moved to those by 2050 or whatever and used range to murder them. Yeah. And then he says, pin back in the grenade drove me nuts, but then edited and said he rewatched it and he noticed the lever wasn't released. So he gets it. Yep. Um, this is usually a very smart show. And I felt very not smart. 1980s action movie. Then again, there were some bright spots. I love Lee just saying, all right, enough. You're a fucking robot. Your lines are my life, which I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, is it possible Man Black's daughters and want to begin the episode? Um, yes. We cool. all want Good stuff, that. Jason. I agree with a lot of the, especially the tactical shit. Yeah, man. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a step back, but was it enjoyable, Jessica? Uh, it was. Okay. Um, I was uh, on the X-Files podcast. I was recently doing this thing where I kind of just on the fly made up a rating system. Do you want to hear it? I sure it's do. It's very simple. Okay. Loved it. Liked it. Didn't like it. Hated it. Oh, that's great. It's good, right? It, I thought there were going to be things like nope. fox it's, sauce. Nope. It's very simple. All right. Where are you? Liked it. Me too. I absolutely, it, there's no way I would go into didn't like it. Me neither. Category. I, I definitely liked it. I enjoyed watching it. I was entertained while watching it. But like, if I call this liked it, I would say loved it about the first two. Okay. And then there's moments where you're like, don't like. And yeah, there were moments hate. I don't like and there were moments I loved. Right. And, and if you average them, it comes to like. Cool. You know. Perfect. I like it. Just doing some math. I just wanted to, uh, that was going to be my kind of final thoughts for the episode. So I am in the liked it category as well. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to add? No, I'm just interested to see what we're going to do next week, what we're going to see, what the fuck is going on with that crazy chick that likes to bang bros and kill tigers. Um, <laughs> bang bros. I hope we see more Maeve. Um, I don't care about the samurai, but I care about her because she was my favorite character and she She's really awesome. hurt me today. Oh, LSK is in the chat now. LSK, do you love Elsie? Can you tell us? Well, we can wait till after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does love. Uh, I think he does love her. Yeah, well, he's gonna be happy that I talked about him loving her for a lot in this podcast. Okay, well, I guess if you want to find out the answer to that, you can go to um, you know liverstreetgeek.net slash live. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can listen to us live someday. It's a party. It is a party. It's a real treat. I, I will say that it is a, it is a bit of a treat. It but- is a treat. I will say uh, thank you guys uh, very much for joining us. Uh, she's coming back. Just wait, LSK says yeah, about her. I know. He loves her. And um, we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Thank you very much. And uh, remember, we always bounce around between Monday and or Tuesday recordings. It'll so, be Tuesday next week, though. Yep. Just stay just stay on target with the schedule. If you go to our schedule on the main website, we, we try to keep it updated as often as possible. But thank you guys for tuning in. And um, that was a good show, Jessica. Had fun. Okay, love you guys. We're out of here. Love you, bye.